Hello and welcome to Run the Table. I'm your host, Bryce Tinson, and the Bucks are down 0-2 yet again. This time, it's because the Suns are just the better team. And we saw it in Game 1, we saw it again in Game 2, but Game 1 is what we're going to start with. CP3 shows out, gets gets the 13-point win over the Bucks, who were kind of all over the place. He has 32 with 8 assists, and he is, he's balling. He's finding guys. He's getting his own shots. He's creating. Devin Booker added 27. DeAndre Ayton added 22. Mikhail Bridges even had 14. I mean, those guys, like, if you're going to get 14 from your fourth best guy, fifth best guy, you're in a position to succeed immensely, especially on a stage like the finals where you need everybody to step up. We've seen it time and time again. One player can only get you so far. Like, look at all those LeBron Cavs teams. Every time it was literally just him, they lost. He put up a great fight, but they would lose. The one year where everybody showed up was 2016. And they didn't show up until the last three games. They showed up in, like, three or four of the games. And so you look at that, and it's like, okay, well, how are the Bucks going to do it then if nobody else is going to, or if nobody's going to show up? So you have, you have the... Suns adding, they have four guys in double digits. Their fifth starter, Jay Crowder, is a walking meme. He had one point on O of eight shooting. But the Suns, you know, they didn't shoot the ball great from the from the field or from the three-point line. They were 33% from three, but they got to the foul line. They took 26 shots from the line and made 25 of them. Those are points, those are the easiest points you're going to get a free throw. And they got 25 of them. Now they made it to the line 26 times and they converted. I, I give them all the credit for converting their free throws. But the issue I have is Devin Booker getting some of these foul calls. Now, I was watching the first half, and I see... like What I'm looking at is Devin Booker hunting for fouls. He comes down the court, he gets the ball, he takes a couple dribbles, pump fakes. P.J. Tucker is literally playing perfect defense on him, and Devin Booker leans into him and just throws up a shot, and the ref calls it. How is it? He doesn't deserve a, uh, uh, like, P.J. Tucker literally went straight up. He went straight up in the, in like, hand, didn't touch him. Didn't even touch him. But because Booker leaned into him and threw up a shot and had this crazy animated form, he gets the foul call. That's two points. And, of course, he made his free throws. That's two points that they shouldn't have got. I don't know. I don't know how, how much the game changes, but he got a couple of those calls where I'm sitting there like, that's not a foul. I'm, I literally yelled at my TV. I'm like, that is not a foul. Yet they keep calling it. They did a better job in game two. I'll give them that. But game one was atrocious in terms of, the, especially the Suns, they were, they were getting all the calls. They would take, take a crappy shot, but they would lean the right way so that, you know, the refs now, anytime you lean into a guy, you get the, you get the foul call. It's so stupid. I understand they're changing it next year. We'll see how that, like, works out, but... It, it really was tough to watch that because it slows... Number one, it slows the game down. Number two, it you can't play defense. Like, P.J. Tucker is one of the best defenders in the league, and he was on him. He was clamping him up. But because he put his hand up after the pump fake and Devin, Devin Booker leaned into him, he gets the... Uh, it's so stupid. It's so dumb. But on the on the flip side, the Bucks were... I, 
hot and cold, I guess is the way to describe it. Giannis, four days after hyperextending his knee where it looked like it was about to snap, he looks unstoppable to start the first quarter. He's, I think he puts up eight points in the first quarter. He's dunking. He's running the court. He, he had this insane block where it was, it was reminiscent of LeBron James in, the, in Game 7 of the 2016 NBA Finals. That's what it looked like. He covered so much ground. He jumps from, I mean, probably a little bit uh, closer than the free throw line and just, boom, right against the backboard. Absolutely demolishes the ball. But he finished with 20 points. I mean, yes, he was hurt, but he only finished with 20 after eight in the first quarter. He did have 17 rebounds. He looked like he looked like the most athletic player on the court still, even though he, you know, he we everybody knew he wasn't 100% healthy. Like you could visibly see him limping after he fell or after you know he ran down the court. He's not 100% healthy, and he's still you know he's playing good basketball. Middleton was good again. He was actually I'm gonna I'm gonna say good because he he didn't shoot efficiently, but he did get points. He had 29 points on 12 of 26 shooting, which especially when Giannis is not 100 is exactly what you need from from your your second best player on the on the on the floor. You need Middleton to get you that, and he did. He did game one. He did. He did exactly what he needed to do. Drew Holiday was awful yet again. I I don't understand how someone who was valued so highly can be so bad. The Bucks literally gave a king's ransom for him, and it's awful. He's he's played so bad in the playoffs. It's it's unbelievable. And I'm just sick and tired of watching him throw up shots. I think he was 4 of 15 shooting or something like that. He had, I, oh God, I don't know how many points he had. I think it was 12 or 13, if that. Lopez, Brooke Lopez was solid. He had a 17, but Drew Holiday really, is, he's taking other people's shots, and he's, he's not making them at a high clip. He really needs to stop, just play defense. At this point, he really needs to stop taking shots. And I'll get into game two where he was even worse. And you know how I said the Suns were 25 of 26 from the line? Well, the Bucks were only 9 of 16. So you have that dichotomy of one team's getting 25 free, free points and the other team's getting 9. Now, obviously, you have to make your shots. If they made it at the same percentage, the Bucks would have had 15. It would have been a closer game, but they didn't because the Bucks aren't that great of a free throw shooting team because of Giannis. He's not, he's not, he's just not, he's not going to make the, uh, a lot of his free throws. You'll be happy if he hits 60 to 75% of his free throws. He's not going to get you 95% of his free throws. He's just not. So you have to, you have to live with it and you have to get your points elsewhere. And you also need to hope that the refs aren't on the side of, of the Suns. Then game two happens and, it was essentially one on one on five. It was Giannis Antetokounmpo versus the Suns. He he had forty two points, which is it, it's exactly what I needed him to do. I've been saying it all series long. I said or all playoffs. I'm like Giannis, give me that forty five point game. Give me that game in regulation, and he did it. He gave me the four, He gave me forty two points on fifteen and twenty two shooting, and he had a twelve rebounds. He was unstoppable. The only issue was nobody else showed up. Literally zero. He got zero help. And 
I, I actually heard this morning, watching some of these talk shows, people say that Giannis is the problem. I'm sorry, what? How is Giannis the problem when Chris Middleton literally has 11 points on 5 of 16 shooting? How is that Giannis's fault? Can someone explain that to me? Because I'm really confused. Chris Middleton was awful. After having a really good game one, he was terrible. And it's somehow it's Giannis's fault because they don't play well. And I, like It's not Giannis's fault that they sucked. But Giannis was superhuman, and they still lost by 10 points. Because Drew Holiday was still bad, too. Drew Holiday, I think, is averaging 33% field goal percentage in, in these two games, in games one and two. What's funny about that is that this playoffs, he has like eerily similar splits to Eric Bledsoe's last year. Eerily similar, like they're almost the same. It's scary, really, because that was who the Bucks traded for Drew Holiday and a bunch of other picks, and then they gave him the max contract. It's so bad. It's so, he's not worth it. He's not a max contract player. It's so it's so unbelievably bad. He had 17 points on 7 of 21 shooting. 33% from the field is not good at all. Brooke Lopez was also bad. He had 8 points on 4 of 10 shooting. It's, I mean, the second best player of the night was really Pat Connaughton for the Bucks. He had 14 points, and he shot the ball at a 50% clip. He was the second best player. That's how bad it was. That's how unbelievably bad it was for the Bucks. And then on the, on the other side, the Suns literally could not miss from three. They were 20 of 40 from three. Devin Booker had seven of them. He ended up, he ended up with 31 points. Chris Paul had 23 and eight. I mean, Mikhail Bridges had 27 points. He was 8 of 15 from the field and 3 of 9 from 3. He had 27. He was their second leading scorer. He outplayed freaking Chris Middleton. Their fourth option outplayed the Bucks' second option. That is, that is the kind of awful play that the Bucks got. That is, oh my gosh. DeAndre Ayton had he he didn't play great, but he had ten and eleven. And I I just want to be completely honest. Like DeAndre Ayton role, DeAndre Ayton's role in like for the Suns is one of the best in basketball. You you go out, you just play your game. Some nights you'll get twenty four, other nights you'll get ten. You'll 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 keep your rebounds, but all they need you there is to be a presence. You're really only there to be a presence. And some nights that means you're gonna you know you're gonna lead the stat sheet. Other nights, it means you're not. But they don't expect him to do anything that is out of his realm of comfortability, I guess. Comfortableness. Yeah? That that sounds a little bit better. But they don't expect, they don't ask him to do that either. Like, there was an interview, or not an interview, it was a mic'd up with Monty Williams talking, talking to DeAndre Ayton. He's like, I don't need you to score points. Just be a force. And that's exactly what DeAndre Ayton was. He, I mean, he was a force. He's, he's that paint presence that makes it harder for Giannis, for Chris Middleton, for Drew Holiday, especially Drew Holiday, to get layups. Because, you know, DeAndre Ayton's 7-1. Drew Holiday is not that tall. 
And you you saw it with some of the layoffs. Drew Holiday is taking They're not. He doesn't look comfortable taking them, and they look forced. But the twenty threes are impossible to beat. If someone if if a team shoots twenty or makes twenty threes on fifty percent shooting, it's it's over. Call it in. I mean, the fact that the Bucks only lost by ten is impressive because they only shot twenty nine percent from three. It's, I mean, the fact that Giannis is doing all this. A couple, like a week after his knee almost broke, it was at like a 200 degree angle. I saw someone on Twitter say, Giannis is doing all this after um, having his leg be at an obtuse angle. And I was like, Yeah, you're right. He is. It's, (laughs) this shouldn't be possible. Yet he's doing it. And he's doing it at a very, very high level. You know, I I was going to take the Bucs because I I had the Bucs coming out of the East in my original predictions. I was going to take the Bucs because I, I, I had to stick true to him, but after watching these two games, I don't know if they can do it. I don't know if they can. I don't. If they don't get play from Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday, I mean, Holiday's been awful the entire playoffs. Chris has been a roller coaster of great games, good ones, and some bad ones. If they don't get consistent good play from both of those guys, they're not winning, and it'll probably be over in five. I would be surprised if it went further than that. But I'm going to take the Suns. I have to now. They just look like the more complete team. Monty Williams looks like the better coach, and he is 100% the better coach. They're a, a deeper team. They're just better. They're, I mean, that's all it is. They're a better team. The good news for Bucks fans to, to still hold out hope, if you even have any left, is that Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday are completely different players at home than they are on the road. They're Really bad on the road, if we're being honest. They're not good. I think Drew Holiday is shooting 33% on the road. Chris Middleton is shooting like 40%. Whereas at home, Middleton's up to like 48 and Holiday's at 40%. So if you can get those guys to show up when they're at home, then you might have a shot. But it's seven games and the Suns have home court. So it's not, it's not looking like your guys are going to come out victorious. But you can still hold out hope. Moving on to the Stanley Cup, the Lightning did it. And, and you know, being a a sports analyst, report, I don't, I wouldn't really call myself an analyst, a commentator. Being a sports commentator, it feels really good to get something right. And calling this series in five is, you know, I feel really proud of myself. I'm going to brag a little bit. But, yeah, I called this series in five. I said the Canadians were going to win three or, game three or four at home. That's exactly what happened. They won game four at home in overtime, the Canadians did. And then the Lightning come back and shut them out. In game five. And the the story of it is Andre Vasilevsky. He won he won the Stanley Cup finals MVP, I think it's called the Con Award or the Cone Award. But he was on his head. He was on fire the entire playoff run. And it just it just goes to show it was really I it was really a storybook ending. Having it be a one nothing shutout and and the Habs literally could not get anything. It was really it was a it was a culmination of everything that happened in this in this playoff run so far. He I think he had like a ninety three save percentage or something, just absolutely unbelievable. Very similar numbers to his his um, play last year, and he's been he's been one of the real reasons that the Lightning have gone back to back is because he is one of the best goalies in the NHL, if not the best. I would argue to say he's the best goalie in the NHL. And I'm, I'm pretty sure a lot of people would agree with me. 
especially after this playoff run. But you, if you're if you're the Habs, you're happy you made it, right? You didn't think you were going to be here, and you definitely didn't think you were going to win. To even win one game is impressive, and those fans, the Habs fans, knew it too, because after the game four win in overtime to stave off elimination, they acted like they won the Stanley Cup. They acted like they won. They didn't, obviously, but they acted like it, which really showed that you knew they weren't going to win the whole thing. If you're acting like that after one win, it's obvious that you don't you don't have any faith or hope that you're actually going to win the whole thing. So, But yeah, they won one. It, props to them for even getting there. I'm happy for them. I'm happy for the Habs to, 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 to say that they've made it this far. Nikita Kucherov had some words about those fans, too. He said, come on, guys, come on, what is this? But he, he had some choice words after, after his press conference, um, mostly about how good Vasilevsky played and how he should have won MVP last year. Um, but, you know, he listen, Kucherov is Kucherov. He's a <laughs> Russian guy, and he's funny. He, he's really funny. But Lightning fans are crazy which we all know because they're from Tampa Bay. And I just I just want to say how impressive this back-to-back is, mostly because of the team that they that the front office built. And I know Steve Geiserman was a huge part of it. But this team is so talent, unbelievably talented. Like, they are unquestionably the most talented in the NHL. And everybody, I, everybody had a feeling that they were going to win it all. And nobody was really surprised when it happened. It was, it was more of a surprise that the the um, conference finals went to seven with the Islanders. That was the biggest surprise, I think, for if you're a Lightning fan or if you're just an NHL fan in general, was the fact that <laughs> that, that went seven. Because we knew this, we knew this series was going to be uh, a cakewalk for for them. And nobody was really surprised by that. But what I want to talk about is that Tom Brady is a freaking witch or a sorcerer or something, because. Ever since he made it to Tampa Bay, the Lightning have won two cups, and the Bucks won a Super Bowl, and the Rays were in a World Series. They ended up losing, but they were, they made it nonetheless. Which which someone had a little spreadsheet of where Tom Brady lives and all the sports teams. And their achievements. So I'm going to go through this list real quick. It's not going to be real quick because it's really crazy if you think about it. Or once I go through it. So he was born in San Francisco. He he lived in San Francisco for until college, essentially. So starting in 1979, the 49ers drafted Joe Montana. Okay, so not, not that, you know, impressive. 1980, the Oakland Raiders won the Super Bowl. 1981, the San Francisco 49ers won the Super Bowl. 1984, San Francisco 49ers won the Super Bowl again. 88, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. 89, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. 89, the Oakland A's won the World Series. 94, the 49ers won the Super Bowl. So that was one, two, three, four, five, six, seven championships while Tom Brady was living in San Francisco from the years 1979 or 1980 to 1994. I mean, that alone is just crazy, okay? He goes to Michigan. He moves to Ann Arbor. So this is Ann Arbor slash Detroit. 
1995, the Red Wings are Eastern Conference champions. 1996, the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. 97, the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup. 98, Michigan wins its first national championship in a while. 2001, the Red Wings win the Stanley Cup again. Okay. I mean, that's that in its alone is crazy. But then he gets drafted to the Patriots in 2001. Guess what? They win the Super Bowl. 2003, they win the Super Bowl. Obviously, because he's playing for them at this point. 2004, they win the Super Bowl. 2004, the Red Sox win the World Series. They broke the curse. 2007, the Red Sox win the World Series again. 2007, the Patriots also win the Super Bowl appearance. Or they make the Super Bowl, but lose to the Giants after a 16-0 regular season. 2008, the Celtics win an NBA championship. 2011, the Bruins win the Stanley Cup. 2013, the Red Sox win the World Series. 14 and 16, the Patriots win the Super Bowl. 2018, the Patriots and the Red Sox both win their respective championships. And then you get to 2020 again. So the Lightning win the Stanley Cup. The Rays make it to the World Series. And the Lightning win the Stanley Cup again. That, I mean, that is so many championships. And it, it's unreal what kind of luck Tom Brady brings to a city when he moves there. I just, I wish I did a tally before because I don't want to count right now. But the amount of times a team was either in a finals, Super Bowl slash World Series, or won one. Because this is this is just on unbelievable levels right now, what he was able to do. Um I just I was just blown away when I saw this and I wanted to share it with you guys. I'm gonna talk a little bit of soccer here in a second. We got the Euros going on. Italy versus England, and this is going to be very short. Italy hasn't won since 1968, and England has never won it. I don't know if I remember correctly; they've never been. So this is huge for both um, both countries. It's, I mean, I, the thing I could compare it most to is college football because we don't really care about soccer over here in the in the states. But yeah, college football is because it's like it's like your nationality almost. It's like when you go to the Olympics and you're rooting for your team. Except it's the Euros. I I don't know. <laughs> I really don't know how to explain it, but that's, yeah. That's really what it is. Um, next up, I'm going to do some other news and on the record, off the record. All right, we're going to start with some other sports news. It's just, I, there's not a ton to talk about. I mean, the finals are one game. The NHL or the Stanley Cup is done. MLB is reaching the all-star break. So there's not a ton to talk about. I mean, football is in its offseason. So the the first thing I want to talk about is I'm a Pistons fan. We finally got the number one pick. First time since 1970. And there are a ton of trades proposals that are like, oh, hey, Pistons are going to trade the number one pick. It's like, wait, hold, hold on a second. Why would we do that? Why in the, why? It's Cade Cunningham. Well, who in the, what? I was, I'm so bad. People like, I understand it's the off season. And I, I'm trying to really get my thoughts together because this is how confusing it is. It's the off season. These, these writers need stories. It's quote unquote the off season for a lot of teams. Because obviously this finals, the finals are still going. But you need content because not everybody can write about the finals. So what's next? Okay, well, let's the draft. It's the draft and then free agency. 
So let's figure it out. Let's figure out um, some trades we could do. And people are so convinced that the Pistons are willing to trade out of the top spot for whatever reason. And I'm, I'm really confused as to why. I saw one that was Shy Gilgis Alexander, SGA, and the sixth overall pick from OKC for the number one overall pick to take Kate Cunningham. And I don't... Listen, that trade's fair. SGA is 22 years old. Kate, I think, is 20. And you're only moving back five spots. <clears throat> the issue I have with it is, why are you trying to trade up to number one when you have SGA? If you think Cade Cunningham is actually not worth a number one overall pick, then why would you trade up to number one? This is the stuff that is confusing me. Why would your team trade up to number one if the Pistons... Like, why wouldn't the Pistons just take him at number one if all these teams want to trade up? I don't get it. It makes zero sense to me. The only point at which you trade down if you're the Pistons is if you either get a King's Ransom which I don't think that that Thunder trade is, or you don't actually think Cade, Cade, Cade Cunningham is the best prospect. So you trade down and hope for something else. It's just to me, you can't keep proposing these trades. Like The Pistons aren't going to do it unless they get this insane like Herschel Walker type trade. Because why would they? I don't know how many calls Troy Weaver's actually gotten. Who knows? I don't know if we'll ever know until after. But I don't see them trading unless, like I keep saying, King's Ransom. Unless they get some huge, disproportionately unfair trade in favor of the Pistons, there's no way that they're going to make this move. And I'm sick and tired of people trying to make these proposals. It's like, well, they can still get Evan Mobley or Jalen Green. Well, so can your team. So why do you want to move up to one so bad? It just doesn't make sense to me. Cade Cunningham is a 6'8", elite scorer. And we're trying to say, oh, yeah, the Pistons want to trade out. That is literally the one thing they're missing, is a a guy that's going to go out and dominate the game. Now, Jeremy Grant, he averaged, I think, 24. But he, listen, I love Jeremy Grant as much as the next Pistons fan does. But he, Cade Cunningham's ceiling is so much higher. So much higher. And there are people that actually think that, that, Cade Cunningham isn't going to be a generational basketball player, and I don't really understand why. Well, I their points are is that he he didn't play that well, or his team didn't go very far in the in the NCAA tournament. And to that, I say not a lot of guys do because I mean, one, Cade Cunningham was playing with a bunch of other freshmen who were nowhere near as good as him, and two, it's March Madness. I would more so look at the player than how the team did. But that's just me. Yeah, so stop with these stupid trades. I don't don't understand them. And Kate is way too good to trade out of the number one spot for this Pistons teams. Unless you want to give us... Unless the Mavs want to give us Luka, then I'm not making this trade. In other news, some guy bet $467 on Shohei Otani and Jacob deGrom to both... It was a parlay to win MVP in their respective leagues. So the AL and the NL. And they're both favored to win right now. The payout of that bet is five hundred thousand dollars. 
My guy bet $467 and is, I mean, barring some act of, of God, I, I think he's going to win 500 k This is insane. <laughs> now, I, I'm not a huge sports gambler because I just, I can't lose money. I'm really, really bad at just like giving my money up for stuff like that. I wish I had the balls to do some of this stuff because it could make you so much if you hit. Like that, to have that, to to have the balls to bet $500 before the season starts is on, on something like this that, you know, it, the odds of it hitting are crazy, crazy low, and then it hits, and then you're... <laughs> I mean, listen, we still got a whole rest of the season. Like, the All-Star break is not even... I think it's just over halfway, or maybe not even halfway. I'm not really sure um, how the baseball season works in terms of that because I, I don't care all that much. <laughs> but to make 500 k off of a baseball season is is quite crazy. And I applaud that guy, and I wish I had the balls to do something like that. And so, I mean, oh, God. It's just it's stuff like that that makes it crazy. On the record, off the record, you know what it is. On the record this week, Giannis is the best player in the finals right now, and he's not even 100%. I I would like for somebody to argue that with me after his performance he just had because, my God, he was unstoppable. Now, my second one is Drew Holiday is not a max contract player. I don't care how many times people say he is or how many good games he has. After what I saw this playoffs, after what I've seen, there's no way that you pay this guy max contract money. Absolutely no way. He is abysmal, anemic, whatever kind of word you want to use on offense. He's terrible. Now, defensively, he's one of the best perimeter defenders in the league. But in a, in a, in a game where it's so hard to even play defense anymore to stop guys, there's really no point, in my opinion. I'd rather have a guy that's going to get you points offensively and not shoot 30% from the field and be... Average to below average on defense. I can't sit here and say, Drew Holiday, that trade is worth it. I mean, I think Eric Bledsoe probably would give you a better stat line right now. So that was a really big mess up by the Bucks, and it might cost them a championship. I mean, at the time, I would have said Drew Holiday is way better than Eric Bledsoe, but with how he's played this playoffs, I, I can't say that. I need to see Drew play better. Simply. It's as simple as that. He needs to play better. And my off-the-record is the Suns have been extremely lucky this playoff run. But, little caveat, it doesn't take away from the championship. I'm sick and tired of all this BS, like, oh, this, this championship, this title has an asterisk. Because they beat who they had to. And you can't blame them for beating the Nuggets without Jamal Murray. Like, he was hurt. The Trailblazers couldn't do it. You can't blame them for beating the or for beating the Lakers when Anthony Davis went down. I mean, he got hurt. Stuff like that happens. They still ended up winning. People still picked I picked the Lakers even after AD went down. I still picked the Lakers. And so did a lot of other people. And then a Kawhi less Clippers in the Western Conference Finals. It's not their fault that Kawhi got hurt. 
and a freak injury, they still beat the Clippers. They still did it. And it's not their fault that Giannis isn't 100%. Because they still will beat them. And that's obviously a predictor, but... Yes, they've gotten lucky. But it doesn't take away from the fact that they're about to win an NBA championship. Because they beat who they had to. I don't care who it is. They beat them. Because you can get stuff like the We Believe Warriors who beat the one seed Mavs. If the Mavs had won, oh, well, it's just an eight seed. Well, guess what? They didn't beat them. You have to beat the teams that line up across from you. And the Suns are doing that, and they're doing it really well. So I don't want to hear any of this crap that, oh, the Suns are lucky. Look at all the injuries. I don't give a, I don't give a shit. You still have to beat the team that lines up across from you. So this is a bunch of BS that people are trying to discredit Chris Paul's first championship and the Suns' nice, nice magical run they have going on here. It's like, come on, guys. Show some respect. I'm sick and tired of it. Yeah, so, I mean, <laughs> little rant to, to finish it off there. I was, I, there's not much going on. I don't really know. I was going to try to add something else in here, but I'm at 30-some minutes, and it, if there was more going on, I can't really think of it. I was going to do another top 10, but, oh, you know what? Here, here we go. I got something coming up for you in a second, actually. So you stick around, and you're. I think you're going to enjoy this. So I know that, the NFL draft happened a while ago. It, I mean, it was in April. Like that's when the um, our NFL draft happens. The NBA draft doesn't happen until late July. But there is an interesting thing that I saw that came back to me for whatever reason this past week, and it's someone I follow on Twitter who said that, or her name is Amy Dash. She's a she's a lawyer. She's essentially a sports lawyer. And she she said, she has an article that basically all the drafts in the sports are against antitrust laws because they're forcing the best prospects or employees to go to the worst teams. Which is, a, it's true, right? Because Trevor Lawrence, the best prospect, went to the worst team the Jacksonville Jaguars. Now, I don't know if that's the same with the NBA draft because of how they do a lottery. You know, I don't know if the lottery is the same because the worst team might not get, or the worst team might has a chance to get the best pick. So I don't know how that works. But for the NFL purposes, it goes against NFL, or it goes against antitrust laws. Now, they use, the NFLPA uses this as a bargaining chip because if they want something, they can essentially go to the owners and be like, hey, we will file for antitrust law violations and you will no longer be able to draft. So if they want you know, a shortened OTA schedule or less mandatory camps or something like that, they use that as a bargaining chip. And the owners smartly obliged by that because here's the thing. Here's the thing I wanted to get into. You, let's say, the owners are stubborn and they don't agree for, to make any concessions. 
So the NFLPA goes ahead and files an antitrust lawsuit violation, whatever it's called. That means that the NFL draft is no longer allowed to take place. Now, I love the NFL draft. I think it is the epitome of strategy slash value slash, you know, outsmarting your opponents. And you're not like you're not even doing anything. Like the Cle- the way the Cleveland Browns did their draft or the Chargers or the Vikings, like that is 3D level chess. So what happens if the NFL draft just doesn't exist anymore? And instead, there's a, there's a section or a time period. So you have your regular free agency and then you have your quote unquote rookie free agency. So if you remember... Back before, oh, I think it was 2015. I can't remember the exact year. There was no cap on rookie contracts. None. Zero. Sam Bradford got paid $78 million as a rookie. Now there's caps because stupid general managers were making decisions that inevitably cost their teams. I mean, it put them in cap hell. And now the rookie or the rookie quarterback is the best possible contract in football is having a good rookie quarterback. Like Mac Jones is costing the Patriots, I think, $15 million or something like that. They, I mean, they're essentially paying a starting quarterback by year two, $6 million. That is the best value deal in the entire league. But what if it just goes away? because the owners are stubborn and won't make concessions. That means you have this free agency period where NFL teams get to sign whoever they want that's coming out of college or that's coming over from a different league. I say you have your NFL free agency, your current players, you have that be one section. And then another section is what you would call a transfer slash drafty pool. And that's where you make your... That's where you make your essential draft picks, except you're signing rookie players. What I want, what I was thinking about, because I also saw this on Twitter. I saw this this um, hypothetical. How much would Trevor Lawrence get paid? He is considered the best quarterback prospect since Andrew Luck, if probably one of the three or four best of all time. Andrew Luck, Peyton Manning. John Elway, maybe even Dan Marino. But those are, he's he's in the top four, at least. And there is no limit on how much he can make on his rookie contract. It is an essential bidding war. So you take the teams that don't need a quarterback out of it. So you take the Patriots, or not the Patriots, you take the Bucks out. You take, oh, who else would you even take? You would take out the Browns, probably, the Ravens, the Bengals, the Chiefs, the Texans, possibly, because I'm still not sure what's going on there, the Packers. Um, I mean, there's, I mean, because, like, where would you put Trevor Lawrence? If we're being honest, where would you put Trevor? Probably not the Titans. I mean, there's not a ton of teams that wouldn't at least offer him. And then you talk about 
cap space issue. Like, who has the most cap space? Because the thing that's different with the NFL, that if, like, this were to take place in the NBA or the NHL or the MLB, or at least the NBA and MLB, specifically the MLB, (laughs) is that there's no cap. The MLB doesn't have a cap. It's basically how much is your owner willing to spend. With the NBA, there's a cap, but you can go over the cap as long as the guy is already on your team. So how much would Trevor Lawrence make? Well, the Jags had the most cap space to begin free agency. And I think it was by a wide margin. Would Trevor Lawrence take more money or would he go to a better situation like a New England or an Indianapolis? The Bills are another team that would not take a quarterback. The Seahawks as well. I can't believe I forgot about them. And the Rams, because they have Stafford now. But, like, how much would he garner? I saw someone say $200 million contract. Over how many years, I'm not sure, because obviously Patrick Mahomes was a 10-year, 500 or nearly $500 million contract. So, which, honestly, if you're looking at it, at it like that, the Chiefs got a great deal on that, because in 10 years, a quarterback's probably going to be making 70 mil. But um, how much would Trevor Lawrence get? There for sure would be a bidding war. But then it's like, would Trevor Lawrence go to a team like the Bucks, where he'd have to sit a year? It really, it really makes things interesting because these rookies want to play. So are they going to go to a team that? Because I'm assuming that most most NFL teams would offer a lot of the top guys. So how do they make that decision? Are they going to go with the guys or with the team that's better historically, yet they're going to have to sit? Or are they going to go with the team that's going to be able to pay them the most money? Especially now you look at NIL as an effect. So is the money aspect really going to matter? Or is it going to be PT and how good the team is? Who knows? I just think it's a really interesting situation. And... I should have done, thinking about this now, I should have done a top 10 list of who would get the most money if this were a thing. I do think Trevor Lawrence, number one, easily gets the most money. And then I do think that it would probably be a toss-up. I think Justin Fields is probably the second highest. And then Zach Wilson. I don't think Trey Lance is going to get that much money, to be honest with you, because of his, his he's a development player. He's a, he need, he's going to need a year, at least in my uh, my estimation. He's going to need a year. So is it him? And then you look at, um, I mean, and then you look at other draft classes too. It's like, well, how much is, would a Miles Garrett have made? It's really interesting to think about because you never. I mean, you never know how much would Penny Sue have made. Would would a team have paid him left tackle money? Because Penny Sewell is going to be a generate. He's touted as a generational offensive line um, product. I, I don't player player. That's the word. I don't know. It would just be really interesting to see. Kyle Pitts. How much money would Kyle Pitts make? Now there's one. Like some of these, like some of these DBs probably aren't going to get a ton of money. It would pro. It would honestly. It would probably be on on playtime for DBs because they're not going to make a ton of money. 
But like a guy like Kyle Pitts, any team in the NFL is going to offer him. I don't care who it is. Every single team is going to offer him. Now, is it about who offers him more or what? I do think he actually might make more than than Fields and Wilson. Pitts, just because he is, I he's a, I literally, we say once in a generation a lot, but I legitimately think he is a once in a generation type player. He is what they call a unicorn. I don't know, just some food for thought there to, to kind of lengthen this out. Give give you something else to listen to. It wasn't. It was really. I mean, we're off the cusp, so it wasn't the best. It wasn't the most organized. Sorry about that. But I I tried my best. But thank you guys for listening this long. If you did, I hope you enjoyed. See you on the flip, or catch you on the flip. I did it again. Catch you on the flip. See you.